do you not know that spiritual gifts are a gift? What's a gift? It's something that's been given to you. It's God's power, not yours. It's God's might, not yours. It has been given to you freely as a gift. And what's the purpose of these gifts? This is what makes it so tragic. We, we recounted this. God gives different gifts to different people. Why? Why? For the common good. Not for you to figure out how spiritually superior you are to other people, but so that you can build up and bless the entire congregation. Welcome to the weekly sermon at Gateway. My name is Jason McNabb. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul addresses serious problems in the church that we still deal with in our day. And through this series, we're also learning how we can live for Christ, even as we're tempted to live for ourselves. You can find more information about this series at gatewaycrc.org. And now here's this week's message. Good morning. My name is Heather. Uh, My husband Aubrey and I have been part of the Gateway family for 29 years. Our reading this morning, as Adam said, is from 1 Corinthians 14, starting at verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, How will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church." This is the word of the Lord. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to grab your Bible or your smartphone to have that in front of you, as we almost always do. I just like to walk through the text, and I love for you to have the words in front of you. So find 1 Corinthians chapter 14. While you're looking for that... um, I don't really care what sort of church you grew up in or what experiences that you've had in church. You have never been to a church as immature and as dysfunctional and as foolish 
as the church in Corinth. Let's just remind ourselves a little bit of what we've learned about this tiny little church. We have people in this church who are suing one another and taking each other to court. We have an instance in which there is a young man who is sleeping with his mother-in-law, and the church is proud of uh, how woke and how accepting they are in the midst of saying, no, that's fine with us, that's okay, you can do that here. They also have issues with respect to their theology. They don't fully understand the doctrine of the Trinity or even the resurrection of Jesus. And they're constantly battling and bickering with one another, fighting against one another. We know there's great sources of division and disunity in this church. It's a mess. And so you, you kind of get this sense as you read through the book. We're, we're up to chapter 14. We're nearing the end. And you would kind of picture Paul thinking to himself, you know what? Also, this is our last worship service today. We should just like get rid of the whole thing. It was um, a pipe dream for you to be able to get along with each other. Might as well disband and go your separate ways because it's a mess. And yet, Paul doesn't do that. And he says that the Holy Spirit is going to work in the lives of this congregation. So we're getting close to the end of the book, and just like most good books, most good movies, all the best drama is left for last. But here's what I want you to see this morning. Everything that we're going to cover today, everything that we've already heard through Heather in her reading of the text this morning, is wrapped up in what we've already read for the last two weeks. We've identified both a problem and a a bit of a solution that, that Paul wants to present to this congregation moving forward. So let's quickly recap that for the sake of our guests and so that we have it fresh in our minds this morning. The problem is this. Christians were using their gifts to boast, not to bless. They were using their gifts to boast, not to bless. They were especially interested in what you might consider to be supernatural gifts. The gifts of healing, the gifts of tongues, the gifts of prophecy. If you had one of those gifts, my goodness, you were like right next to Jesus. You must have been a super spiritual person. But if you had one of the more, let's just call them natural gifts, gifts of administration, gift of help or hospitality or of leadership, then like, I'm sorry for you, you don't have as cool of gifts as I have, I'll pray for you, you know, like this is the way that they think about it, right? So some are super important, other ones not so much, and they're using the gifts as a way of trying to figure out who's more spiritual in their midst. And Paul shakes his head, and he says, that's ridiculous. Do you not know that spiritual gifts are a gift? What's a gift? It's something that's been given to you. It's God's power, not yours. It's God's might, not yours. It has been given to you freely as a gift. And what's the purpose of these gifts? This is what makes it so tragic. We, we recounted this. God gives different gifts to different people. Why? Why? For the common good. Not for you to figure out how spiritually superior you are to other people but so that you can build up and bless the entire congregation. So here's what God is trying to do behind the scenes. He desires to bake a cake, and he has all the ingredients laid out within the congregation. He wants all of us working together so that we can build up and bless the congregation. So here's a bit of a thesis statement for you, according to Paul. The last three chapters combined, think about it this way. 
The purpose behind the gifts of the Spirit is to build up the whole church, the body of Christ, through the Spirit-empowered ministry of the whole church, the body of Christ. So how's he going to do it? Through you, through the body. That's how he's going to build up his people. It takes all of us together. Being the church and all that God intends it to be means that we can't have any spectators here. This is not a spectator sport. That God intends to use gifts that he has placed upon individuals within this congregation, each and every one of us. That is to say, if you are a follower of Jesus, then the Lord has given you a gift. And if you have a gift, the Lord wants you to use that gift so that we can build up and edify and bless and strengthen and comfort the entire congregation. That's the image that Paul receives from the Holy Spirit, and the same goes for us. 2,000 years later, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing at Gateway. These are the gifts of God for the people of God, for the building up of the body of Christ. And I, I think you can kind of sense it that even 2,000 years later, some of these issues that the church in Corinth is grappling with are the same ones we are today. There are still some of us today that, that we have this idea that church is a spectator sport. That we're just kind of watching, beholding a, a few supernaturally spiritual people who are doing things and we got to watch them and observe them and say, I like that, I didn't like that, that was okay, but I wish that was better. And we're, we're kind of measuring things. And yet, if we want to be all that God intends for us to be, we all have gifts to contribute to the body of Christ. And so I, I want you to keep those principles in front of you because otherwise we're going to miss the forest for the trees. Otherwise we're going to think to ourselves, why all this talk about speaking in tongues? Why is that so important? Note the principle and then we'll return to it in a bit. So if your Bibles are open, 1 Corinthians 14 starting at verse 1. Let's read the first four verses again. Follow the way of love. That was everything we read last week. He's just continuing in that theme. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening for their encouraging and for their comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Note that. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. So I shared with you a couple weeks ago that spiritual gifts can be summarized this way. They can be summarized as speaking for Jesus and as serving for Jesus. Those are the two primary functions of the gifts of the Spirit. So here's what we kind of have to picture in our mind. As Christians, we don't live life as though we're in the middle of a tornado in Arkansas, hiding in a bathtub in the fetal position, waiting for Jesus to take us home. But nor do we have this image that, you know, we're in Honolulu, Hawaii, you know, with our feet up, with a pina colada in our hand, waiting for Jesus to bring us back home. Those aren't the images that we have. 
Instead, God intends to communicate to us that until the Lord returns in glory, until Jesus comes again, he has given us gifts to contribute for the sake of the building up of the body of Christ, for the sake of the sharing of the gospel, and for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We all have work to do. We are active in this process. We're not passively waiting for Jesus to return. We're waiting with eager expectation and anticipation, knowing that God has assigned to each of us gifts to build and to bless. That's the example of a disciple of Jesus on mission. And so as a follower of Jesus, we're always asking questions. Lord, where would you have me go today? What would you have me do? What open doors will you have me walk through? How do you want me to speak for you today? How do you want me to serve for you today? What would you have me do? That's the basic uh, viewpoint of a Christian every single day as they wake up and they face the new day. That's the perspective that we're called to have as Christians. So with that foundation set, let's look at three churchy words, stained glass words that we don't really uh, talk about anywhere outside of church, but it's important for us to understand them as Christians. The first is prophecy, and I defined it this way in your note sheet. Prophecy is a known language spoken to people. A known language spoken to people. There are three separate times in 1 Corinthians 14 alone where Paul says that the entire church should desire and should eagerly search for the gift of prophecy. And this gift is important because Paul says in verse 3 that it is the one that strengthens, edifies, and comforts the entire body of Christ. So he says this is a gift that edifies the whole church. And for the sake of time, we're not going to be able to read every single verse in chapter 14, but I just want you to get a picture of everything Paul says about the gift of prophecy. So I've kind of curated it here. Here's everything he says in this chapter. We've mentioned this already, strengthens, encourages, and comforts the congregation. That's what prophecy does. Verse 4, he says it edifies the church. Verse 24, he says it convicts unbelievers of their sin, which in turn leads to repentance for them to know Jesus. Verse 25, it lays bare the secret of our hearts, which sounds painful, and yet is a, it is a way to edify and to build up a Christian who's on the wrong path. Verse 26, it builds up the church. And the chapter begins and ends by saying it's something the entire congregation should pursue. So to Paul, prophecy is incredibly important. And at this point, you're going, okay, but what is it? Like, what is prophecy? Isn't that kind of like when uh, a dude who looks a little bit like Gandalf, got a big beard and big pointy hat and kind of an old man, he's got a stick in his hand, and he brings out a crystal ball and he starts massaging and rubbing it and he says, I can predict the future. Like, is, is that prophecy? No, no. So if you're taking notes, consider writing this down. It is, prophecy is more forthtelling than it is foretelling. It's more forthtelling than foretelling. It's not predicting the future so much as it is boldly proclaiming what Jesus Christ intends for us to know through his word and through the power of his Holy Spirit. Communicating the truth of God in a way that strengthens, builds up, comforts and edifies the people of God. 
That's what every single preacher intends to do, to speak a prophetic word. When I was in seminary, my preaching professor, he would always say, um, on Monday mornings, you should start by having the word of God in one hand and the newspaper in the other so that we understand what God's timeless principles and truths are, are holding and that we see the particular challenges that we're dealing with today to boldly address them and to speak to them in a way that builds up the church. So that's one form of prophecy. And yet it's not just preaching. Every single person in this room, Paul says, should desire the gift of prophecy. So in your one-on-one -on -one conversations with, with your spouse, with your friend, with your mentors or mentees, with your colleagues, with your classmates, that you can speak a prophetic word to them, communicating God's word in such a way that it builds them up. And so this is a, a definition given by Anthony Tisselton. He says this, prophecy as a gift of the Holy Spirit combines pastoral insight into the needs of persons, communities, and situations with the ability to address these with a God-given message to challenge or comfort, to judgment or consolation, but ultimately to building up the recipients. That's what prophecy is. So here's the second word, and that is tongues. It's important to note that the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about tongues, and when it does, the, the, the clearest indication that we get from Scripture about tongues is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the one that we're reading this morning, and it's more of an indictment on the misuse of tongues than it is an instruction on how to use it. And yet, there are still things that we know about the gift of tongues. So in the Bible, there's two different types. You should know this. The first one is what uh, theologians call the missiological use of tongues. And that's what we see in the book of Acts, especially. So if you're taking notes, consider writing down Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 11. Read the context later. But both of those are an example of it. Let's look at Acts 2 a little bit more in depth to see what this looks like. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. And suddenly, something like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Could you imagine being there, being a part of that? They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5. Now, there were sitting in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So you see that? Their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygra, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors of Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. In our own tongues. So these tongues were foreign languages of those who were far from God, who needed to hear the message of God in their own language so that they could understand. 
And remember, the definition I gave you of gifts is speaking for Jesus and serving for Jesus. Here's the example of this gift being used in such a way that they are speaking for Jesus. So, so here's the gap, right? You have some people who don't know Jesus. We have other people who desire, eagerly desire to prophesy and to bear witness to what Jesus has done. What's the gap? It's a language gap. Right? They speak Hebrew, or they speak a different language. They, they speak a, a different language. They, they have a gap. And the Holy Spirit enables the communicator to speak in a language that they understand so that they hear the gospel message. That's, that's the missiological use of the gift of tongues. And I think most of us, we're okay with that. We're like, that's, that's kind of cool. Like, could you imagine people going off to foreign missions? They don't know the negative, native language. The Lord gives them that gift, and then Finally, they can communicate Jesus in a way that they understand. I would have liked to have that gift in high school just before my French exam. What a gift, you know? But, you know, the Lord didn't give me that. I had to study. But this is the missiological use of tongues. But the other type of tongues that Paul addresses, and the one that's being addressed here in 1 Corinthians 14, um, it, it's typically described this way. It's a prayer language. It's a prayer language. So in contrast to prophecy, which is a known language spoken to people, tongues is an unknown language spoken to God. An unknown language spoken to God. Pastor and author Wayne Grudem in his book Bible Doctrines, he defined tongues this way. He said, tongues is a form of prayer and praise you express to God in a language you don't understand. And so here's what I need you to see. This is so critically important. Paul is seeking to give a comparison and a contrast between these two gifts. It would be a mistake for us to think that the only thing Paul is talking about here is prophecy and tongues. It's not. These two are examples of what Paul intends to communicate about every single gift and what is their primary purpose and function. That's what he's getting at. So these are examples of not the ultimate thing. And then we see how he brings all of this together in verse 4. Here's, here's the whole point of this. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies who? What's the word? Help me out. Themselves. Okay, and then he says, but the one who prophesy edifies who? The church. That's the point. That's the point that he wants to communicate to us. So let's follow the logic of Paul for a moment. Paul says prophecy is an example of a spiritual gift that strengthens the church. It strengthens everyone who hears. And yet the gift of tongues is an example of a spiritual gift that, is, that only strengthens yourself especially when there's no interpretation of that tongue. So what sort of feels like an indictment on the gift of tongues is not actually that. If you understand it in its proper context, Paul is not against tongues. In fact, if you look ahead in your Bible to verse 18, take a look at it with me. He says, I speak in tongues more than anybody. And he's just about to tell us in verse 5, he's about to say, I wish you all spoke in tongues. So he's not against it. He's not talking so much about what he's concerned about or uh, what he's concerned about. He's more concerned about where, where you do that and how. So here's what Paul is ultimately concerned with. He's concerned with the self-indulgent 
use of the gifts of the Spirit. That's the problem that he has. So look with me at verse 5, and he'll make this clear. Verse 5 says, there are different kinds of... Oh, no, that's not it. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. There it is. But I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some sort of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? So look, there's all sorts of things that we engage in that are beneficial to us and to no one else. What are some of those things? Like, what are the things that we ought to do all the time that are beneficial just to us? Get eight hours of sleep a night? Exercise regularly? You know, get get good meals? All those kinds of things? And yet, I think you would agree with me that we probably shouldn't exercise or eat or sleep, please know, while I'm preaching, you know, or while we're worshiping together. That's not the right time. It's not a matter of what we're doing. It's where we're doing it. Here's another example of this. Um, Julie and I were just talking about this, about how it's so interesting that gardens in our backyard, they're filled with dirt and they're beautiful, right? But what do we hate in our house? Dirt. We hate dirt in our house. So it's not a matter of what, it's a matter of where. It's a matter of where. If we got dirt in the house, it's unclean. If we got dirt in the garden, it's beautiful. In the same way, the gift of tongues has a place. It has a place. And so look at verse 7 as he continues in this theme. He says, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, and yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, take note of this, Try to excel in those that build up the church. Circle, highlight, underline. Try to excel in those that build up the church. He keeps coming back to the same theme over and over and over again. What is the purpose of the gift of the Spirit? The answer, to build up the church. To build up the church. And then he gives three examples, right? He gives example of music, of a battle cry, and of human languages. And and I trust you get the image, but let me unpack one of the three just, just for fun. The battle cry. Could you imagine if you were a part of a platoon and you're about to go out into war beyond enemy lines and, and you're trying to press on the attack, but you missed orientation when they talked about the meaning of particular sounds that the war general will make. So if you hear one blast, That means press on the attack. But if you hear two blasts, that means you got to run back, run back, retreat. And so you you missed that day. You hear, and you're like, wow, that sounds pretty engaging. I better start running toward the attack. Everyone's running back. It's chaos. It's chaos. So if you do not know the meaning of what is being communicated, it's not just neutral. 
it actually serves a negative function. It can actually cause harm to the church. And that's what Paul is trying to communicate here. Verse 13, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may be able to interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving? Since they do not know what you are saying, you are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So once again, Paul keeps coming back to it, keeps saying the same thing in different ways over and over again. You very well may be giving thanks, but it won't strengthen or edify the people who hear. And the desire is to build up the church, not just to build up yourself. So since we don't talk a whole lot about the gift of tongues here, I want to spend a little bit of time talking a little bit more about what tongues is and what it isn't. Because both of them are equally important, what it is and what it isn't. So let's start with what speaking in tongues is. In your note sheet, I said it is a prayer language between you and God, and it is still given to people today. So you might say, okay, Justin, what's the point of it? Isn't it just a bunch of mindless babble? Like, why would anyone speak in tongues, even on their own, if, if they don't understand what's being said? And to help answer that, let me um, just ask, by a show of hands, how many of you are married to a morning person? We've got a couple, just a couple of you. You know what? It bothers me being married to a morning person. Like, no one should be that happy in the morning. I happen to be married to one of them. Julie, she just gets out of bed. She's filled with life. She's filled with energy, filled with excitement. I'm like, cool it, okay? You know, like, don't be so happy. We'll get there soon, you know? But she's just already so excited. And if you know her, like, if you see her on Sunday morning, that's her. She's just that way all the time, just filled with life. And so here's what she'll do. She'll roll out of bed, and, like, birds will start chirping instantly. She'll go out into the kitchen. She'll turn on the kettle. And then she'll, she'll do one of two things. She'll either turn on Spotify and start listening to worship, or she'll just start going on her own little rant. And sometimes I, I can pick up the tune, but other times she's just rifting, right? I don't, I don't even know what she's singing. She's just rifting along. And I'm like, what, what is this woman doing? She's worshiping. She's singing. Now, I'm not saying that's what speaking in tongues is. I'm just saying there are times in which people can be worshiping God even if they're not using their own mouths, even if it's not something that's recognizable to us. Or let me give you another example, taking a, a bit of a, a dark turn here for a second. How many of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have experienced what theologians call the dark night of the soul? Where you have had a hellish day, or week, or month, or year, and you're at the end of your rope. And all you want to do is raise your fist toward heaven and say, God, why have you allowed this to happen? Why are you doing this to me? It's not fair. 
You just, you don't have the words. You're just so overwhelmed with agony, so overwhelmed with grief. You don't have the right articulation of words to say something that would make it feel better. And then in that moment, if you've been there, you know exactly what Paul means when he says what he says in Romans chapter 8. Let me, let me read this to you. He says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Is that not exactly what we just read in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, at the beginning of his explanation of tongues when he says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. And so, whether you cry out to God in the dark of night, in the dark night of the soul, or whether you roll out of bed and you're filled with life and the birds are chirping and you just start rifting, both of those are examples of things that are unintelligible. We, we don't know the words that are coming out of their mouths, and yet we know that it isn't mindless babble. It is a balm to our souls. God says it is beneficial for us to do those things. But typically, we don't have much time for that. Why is that? Why is it that when it comes to things like tongues, we're not all too interested in them. Well, I'm going to give you at least two reasons. You might have more, but here's the two that I can think of. The first is, we're Westerners. And as Westerners, we're only interested in the utility of something. We want to know its function. We want to know its purpose. We got point A, we got point B. How do we get to point B? And so we want to see the utility of things. It's one of the reasons why, to our shame... Most Western Christians pray far less than our Eastern Christian brothers and sisters. Why pray when I could do something about it? Right? Why pray? I might as well just go use my hands. Go and try and make a difference. And yet prayer is the most powerful weapon against the evil one, but we don't see the utility of it. And so both prayer and tongues are just things that we would say, I, I don't see the purpose, I don't see the function, it's not all that important. But the second reason, I think, is because we're not just Western, but we're Reformed, right? We're Reformers. We think with our heads. We have our roots in the Reformation. Creeds, confessions, doctrines, systematic theology. We want things to make sense to us with our minds. And I'm telling you, I grew up in the Pentecostal tradition. It's one of the things that made me fall in love with the Reformed tradition, was that it made sense to me. And yet, I would propose to you that since the Reformation, there have been instances in which we have thrown out the baby with the bathwater. We have forgotten that we are, here's the big word of the day, we are psychosomatic creatures. We're emotional, relational, psychological, spiritual, intellectual. We're all of those things wrapped up into one. And you can't separate one at the expense of the other. You can't say, no, we only think with our minds and that's it. That's it. We don't think about our emotions or our relationships or psychology or any of those things. Just our minds. We don't do that. So we don't use our minds to the diminishment of our emotions. That's, that's the message I would want to tell to my Reformed friends. But here's what I would tell my Pentecostal friends. 
we don't use our emotions to the diminishment of our mind. We don't do either of those things. We realize that we are complex beings. So here's a question for you. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you remember your first kiss? How many of you remember where you went camping as a little kid? You not only remember what you did, you remember the smells of when you went to those places. Or the, the first time that you, or, or maybe your wedding day, or any sort of like emotionally filled situation, many of you remember those things. Now here's the next question. How many of you remember what I preached on four weeks ago? Don't raise your hand. It just hurt my heart. We're not just thinking people, right? We have minds, most certainly we do, but we also have emotions. We also have relationships, psychology. All those things inform our perspective on who we are as people. And we have to embrace all of them. I personally do not have this gift, but I've spoken to Christian friends and colleagues this week who have helped me think through the purpose and the function of the gift of tongues. But I think it's equally important for us to consider what tongues is not. And so I put it this way in your note sheet. Speaking in tongues is not a gift that every Christian has, and nor is it a sign that we have the Holy Spirit. A sign that we have the Holy Spirit. That was what was taught to me as a child. Like, are you a Christian yet? Well, have you spoken in tongues yet? Have you prophesied yet? Oh, you haven't? You haven't experienced that yet? Well, clearly you're not a Christian yet. You go try again, right? Run around again, maybe, just maybe next time. And so you feel forced to jump into these things, but these are not gifts that every person has. Paul has said that already. Paul has relayed to us that he gives different gifts to different people for the building up of the body of Christ. To some he gives this gift, to other he gives that gift, but the purpose is to build up the church. And so not everyone has this gift. I like the way that William Barclay puts this. He says this, speaking in tongues. This phenomenon was very common in the early church. A man became worked up to an ecstasy and in that state poured out a quite uncontrollable torrent of sounds in no known language. Unless these sounds were interpreted, no one had any idea what they meant. So he's talking about what's happening in this little church. Strange as it may seem to many of us, in the early church, this was a highly coveted gift. It was also dangerous. For one thing, it was abnormal and was greatly admired, and therefore, the person who possessed it was very liable to develop a certain spiritual pride. And for another thing, the very desire to possess it produced, at least in some, a kind of self-hypnotism and deliberately induced hysteria, which issued in a completely false and synthetic speaking with tongues. And I've experienced that as well, growing up in the Pentecostal church. It often became a public spectacle. It became a demonstration of your super spirituality. And Paul again just says, cut it out. Tongues is not an uncontrollable behavior. It is a prayer language between you and God. It is a prayer language between you and God. So here's where I want to spend the last few moments with you. Like, what, what do we do with all of this? How do we apply 1 Corinthians chapter 14 
right here, right now? What is its purpose? Well, here's a way of thinking about this. I know that for every single Christian in this room, we are eager for God to work mightily in our midst. We are eager for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to build up and to bless this congregation and for us to be a light on a hill for the sake of the city of Abbotsford. We want to see lives changed for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. And Paul, he's given us a gift this morning. He has given us an anchor to help us think about the gifts of the Spirit. And all of it, I think, stems from two verses we've read already. Verse 4 and verse 12. This is the, the, the foundation of everything that we find in 1 Corinthians 14. Let me read it again to you. He says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. We covered that. You're only building yourself up in that. It's not wrong. It's just a matter of when and where. It's not a matter of what. You can do that at home. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. It edifies everyone who hears. Then he says in verse 12, Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. I shared with you two weeks ago that you will never see a greater miracle or spiritual gift than salvation in Jesus. You will never see a greater miracle than the undoing of what Augustine calls the homo incurbatus in se, the, the heart that's turned in on itself. The undoing of that where the heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh and is receptive to Jesus and walks in his ways. That is the greatest spiritual gift that anyone will ever receive. And I've shared with you, I'm, I'm not so sure we always believe that. And so just like this little church, I think oftentimes we think, Lord, give us an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, allow us to see miraculous signs and wonders. Lord, help us to lift up Mount Baker and to throw it into the sea. Lord, help us see healings and miracles. That's what we want to see. And so Paul, he says, okay, you want to see miracles? You want to see life change? You want to see healing? I'm going to show you how to do it. Sharpen your pencils. Here's the answer. You ready for it? Here's how you do it. Eagerly strive to excel in building one another up. That's how you do it. And you're like, hold on. What? What? Did we, like, did we miss a chapter? That's the answer? Like I thought at the very least what we got to do is we got to go up to a mountain and we got to like practice some sort of spiritual Jedi mind tricks and we'll come down from the mountain and we'll say like I now got the gifts. I can heal people. That's the most important thing. And yet Paul says what he says. He says if you want to see miracles, if you want to see life change, if you want to see a church on mission, here's how to do it eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit that build up the church. What does that look like? Invite people to your homes. Break bread with them. Bless one another and build each other up. Encourage one another in their gifts. Say, I, I see this gift in you. I see what God is doing in your life, and I'm absolutely amazed what God is doing. Forgive one another even when they don't deserve it. Live out the one another's of scripture. Build one another up. 
Encourage one another. Challenge and equip one another. This is the way that you will see miracles within the church and with anyone who comes within its orbit. This is the way to do it. And so we don't say, like, the gift of healing is more important than the gift of administration. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's the gift you got? No, because we recognize that every gift has been distributed for the sake of the body. No one can work without the other. And if we have that sort of perspective, then I think there's three things that will flow out of us all the time. Here's the first one. We will become a church that is less about me and more about us. Less about you and more about us. Here's the day in which we live. We are constantly bombarded every single day with every commercial, every time you doom scroll on Instagram or on social media, every single moment of every day, we are sold our own unhappiness. Here's what you got to buy. Here's what you got to get. Here's what's most important. If you get this, you'll be happy. Until then, you aren't happy. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. And then we, we bring it in here into church. In a word, it's consumerism. It's like, well, I like that, but I didn't like that. I wish that was better. I wish the singing was better. I I wish the preaching was better. I I wish this ministry was a little bit changed. I wish we could tweak that. I wish we could go back 30 years and have this again. We're being consumers. And yet the Lord says, if, if you have the mind of Christ, then the question is, what gift do I have to build up and to bless the congregation? It doesn't mean we become mindless drones. In fact, let me just tell you this. Here's one of the gifts of the Spirit. It might be hard to think about this, but one of the gifts of the Spirit is being able to critique something. You might be the type of person where you can take a good thing and you can help make it a great thing. You might be the type of person who says, you know what, I see what you're trying to do, but we could do it even better if we do this. But here's the unique danger, spiritually speaking. If you have the gift of critique, that you kind of find people like you and you become critical and you point from a distance and say, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that. But if we intend to be the body of Christ, then the goal is with your hands open to say, here's the gift that I think I can use to build up and to bless this congregation. It's not about me, it's about us. What is God doing in our midst? Here's the second one. That you would desire gifts that benefit others more than gifts that benefit yourself. I mentioned this before, we're we're not the type of people who say, you know what gift I want? I want the gift of foresight. I want to be able to predict the future. Then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start investing in stocks, and then I'm going to watch them rise, and I'm going to get what's coming to me, and I'm going to be able to enjoy life with luxury and with happiness. Or I have the gift of woo or of influence or leadership, and I'm going to treat people like a ladder to get where I want, to do what I want so that I can please myself and build up myself. And yet God says, here's the gift I want to give you. I have a gift I've given only to you, but the goal isn't to bless yourself. It's to bless the body, to build up the body of Christ so that she might become all that God intends her to be. Use your gifts in that way. And then the third and final one is this. Your mission will become, Lord, how can I build up and bless others today? Imagine if that was our perspective every day when when we met together for worship, 
when we had people in our homes, when we got together for life groups, every time we're around other God-fearing Christians, we encourage one another and say, I see this gift in you. I see the, the way the Lord is working in your life. I want to help you cultivate that gift. I want to help you draw it out and to use it even more for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. Imagine if that's the way that we were. We were constant encouragers of one another that we would build each other up. So that's the desire of Paul. It's not just about prophecy. It's not just about tongues. It's a question. Are you a follower of Jesus? If so, you have a gift. How are you cultivating that gift? How are you using that gift? Are you using it for yourself? Or are you using it to build up and bless the body of Christ? I'm going to leave you with that. I invite you to take that question home and to seriously consider the ramifications of whether you're using it and cultivating it or whether you're not. And so to close our time, I want to read verse 12 one more time. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. You've been listening to the latest message in our First Corinthians series focused on learning godly solutions to the problem of sin in our lives. You can find more information about this series and our church's ministry at gatewaycrc.org. I'm Jason McNabb. Please join us next time on the weekly sermon at Gateway.